Hello and welcome to Rusted Junk. We are looking at the 1980 gangster film, The Long Good Friday, starring Bob Hoskins, Helen Mirren, P.H. Moriarty, Alan Ford and Pierce Brosnan. And lots of others. And lots of others. Anyway, here's the trailer. For more than 10 years, there's been peace. Everyone to his own patch. I'm setting up the biggest deal in Europe. Ladies and gentlemen, the new London. This is personal. Who's got it in for me? I want the man who knows. Is there no decency in this disgusting world? It's dripping blood by midnight. Nobody goes home until I find out who's done it. I told them everything, Harold. I'm so scared. It's me that's going to take revenge and cut you. Ah! We got gang warners, right? It's my manner. I run London. Not now, Harold. They're taking it away from you. Well, if you'd seen that trailer, that trailer kind of gives it away. So if you are listening and you're vaguely interested to go, do you know what? I want to try the YouTube thing. Skip the trailer. I know you just heard it, but it doesn't make much sense unless you've seen it. I think that trailer just pretty much gives the, <laughs> doesn't give the whole thing away. If you've got a pause button and you pause on certain scenes, it'll ruin the whole thing for you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But, I must say, it's quite timely that we're watching a film called The Long Good Friday because it's coming up to Easter. I don't think they had that. I'm not sure they had that in mind. No, they? I mean, right. us. We're reviewing a film that's titles quite topical. Well, anyway. I wonder if our Good Friday be long. <laughs> I wonder if this podcast will be long. Well, you're gonna, we're about to find out. Well... <laughs> on that on that note, if we go on like that, then yeah, it'll be about four hours. Um, anyway, it is my delight, absolute delight, dear dear viewers. You already know, uh, but dear listeners, you won't know. But there's three of us tonight: myself, Amanda, whose dulcet tones you just heard, and we are joined. What do we call you? Di- can we give you a dynamic nickname now? Die Hard Dom, Papa Dom, Papa Dom, yeah. <laughs> Well, he's back, and he's going to be—he's going to be—I'd uh, say he's going to be here again. We're going to be doing—we're going to be doing lots of lots of things, lots of guest stars. We found out doing cops and robbers. There's so many things you can just use and shoehorn in. I can't believe. In. Sorry, can I just say you shoehorned in? If you're going to talk about Bond, don't talk last about week. Last the last film, Bond. Bond isn't cops and robbers. Bond upholds the law, I believe. Uh, her, Majesty, her Majesty's Law. So yeah, 
doesn't he? Well, and if he wasn't, if he wasn't, as long as there's no Bond references in this uh, this review, uh, I can't rule that. Well, no, he's can't rule that out. So no. Yeah, I can't rule that out. Mm. Um, anyway, the three of us are here. This is going to be a good podcast. I just I the really three do. of us. So do you know what? I what's how, I don't know how should we do how should we do this? I think we should let our guests go first. Do you think? Yeah, come on then. Yeah. So over to you, Dom. What do you think of the film? What's the score? The cursory thing and the score? Pop it well, I don't look, I'm, I'm gonna confess to, to nerves. Normally I come into the, the few pods that I've been able to do with a pretty good idea about what other folk on the pod are going to think about it and I, I just wouldn't be able to put any money on whether you're going to have loved it hated it what you thought so yeah so I'm really I'm really looking forward to hearing what you both have to say but from my perspective well um I sat down expecting so I, I think of the three of us I'm the only one that's seen it previously that's right so I thought I knew what I was going to expect when I sat down and watched it the, the other night uh, I was going to see a classic British film that was my expectation, and, and if not that, then at least a classic British gangster film. You know, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd have that experience. And um, and to be honest, I was I was disappointed. I thought it was flawed. Uh, I remember watching it for the first time, um, and it really drew me in. I, I, I remember the channel hopping. It was on. I watched it, and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but this uh, this was yeah not not as good as I remember it being uh, at all. I have to concede. I thought the film was a bit dated. I right. thought it lacked cinematic qualities, and it often kind of looked and felt a bit like a like a TV program rather than a than a film, and looked a bit a bit cheap and a bit a bit low budget in places. Right. However, um, you know, by no means did I not enjoy it at all. I just thought it had some flaws. I thought, you know, the cast of Bob Hoskins, Helen Mirren, the storyline. I thought that the kind of snapshot it portrays of London at that time in its history was um, was, mm. was really, really interesting. And there's some brilliant lines in it as well and some, and some classic scenes, including, of course, the ending, which I won't elaborate on too much if we're going to go through the film. But yeah, yeah. So, so good but flawed. I, I've scored it a 7 out of 10. Wow. Mm. Do you know what? I'm, I am breathing. And I'm, I'm, you're going to go next, Amanda, but I just have to say this. I am breathing such a sigh of relief. Because I had a thought that I was going to be well, my score would would make Dom just get off off the chair, sort of like <laughs> Alistair Campbell. Alistair Campbell take his take his microphone off and just like leave, um, because I just thought it was going to be his equivalent to Stand by Me, and it's me my, like saying eh, Stand by Me is all right. Kids could have been done better and stuff like this. Of which case, Dom would just drive around here, I think, and just lamp me. So yeah, that's a long um, drive. Well, it'd be would- worth it. He it would, would for, for criticising Stand By Me. <laughs> uh, checks, checks notes. Did we criticise? No, I don't think we did. No, we no. didn't. We, no, we, didn't. It we loved it. It's great. Yeah. It's a great film. Oh, so anyway, thank goodness. Over to you, Amanda. Yeah, actually, pretty similar to Dom, Papa Dom. Um, I, I was expecting quite a polished film, to be honest. I'd never seen the film before. Um, I was quite looking forward to it because I I know it's held in quite high regard. I think the British Film Institute uh, actually has it ranked at number 19 in their list of films. So um, it's it's quite surprising, actually. I I did feel, as Dom said, it it felt a little bit kind of TV show kind of quality. Yeah. Um, 
it, it certainly felt quite unpolished and, in a sense, raw, mm. but not in necessarily content, in quality, I would say. Right. Um, but overall, an enjoyable film. I was a little bit stunted by the ending. Mm. It, it just seemed to end quite abruptly mm. with, with no sort of understanding as to what really had happened or, or, or how, well, anyway, we'll, we'll get on to that. Yeah. So I felt the ending was a quite a, an abrupt ending uh, and I felt like quite disappointed after investing like over an hour and a half in watching it. Mm. Um, so yeah, I was thinking, Oh God, what am I actually going to score the film? Because there are parts of the film that are, you know, uh, quality kind of um, scenes, scenarios, you know, goings on. Uh, Helen Mirren is great. Um, mm, yes. Skins, I think, flounders a little bit parts in parts of the film. Okay. Um, he does do a good performance, but I think some of it is a little bit... Um, yeah, okay, fair enough, yeah, <laughs> move on. Okay. Um, but I think where it's where it's dated is we've got, since then, we've had, I mean, it was filmed in 79 and released in 1980, so there's there's quite a number of years now <laughs> that are in between. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we've had a lot of British gangster movies since then, so we have. we've grown up with the likes of things like Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, you know, um, so those to me are like the not the proper, but they're like the new style British gangster kind of film. Hmm. We've also had um, oh, it's a short, it? it's a short, it's a short um, thing that you give him, oh. and then and then you score. It's all right. We can we. I mean, okay, all right. And, uh, all right. Well, I'll I'll give it a seven. Seven. Oh, thank God. Okay, that's that's okay. But I thought you were going to be. Remember, I don't score very high anyway, so seven is quite high for me. Okay, so while I'm doing that, I'm going to say, Amanda, check your message uh, that I just sent you. Um, so I will, I will let <laughs> your, your mic is tinny. <laughs> your mic is tinny. It sounds a bit tinny. I don't know if you can like if it's plugged I'm, in or you're using your, Hello, using your. Is that better? I don't know. Is, is it plugged in? I haven't done anything. Oh, that's but oh, that was better. Yeah, because oh. you were closer to it. Oh no, I moved the the, the woggly bit. Right. Is that that's, better? That's slightly better, yeah. But it was really good when you were close to it. There, is that better? Uh, slightly. Is that better? Oh, that's amazing. It's like you next. Oh, to me. you see, I've got to get my head right in it. Okay. Well. Oh, right. Okay. Let me do uh, some adjustments as you. All right. Uh, okay. Don't worry. Okay. While I do that. I don't feel so bad now with with my five. Um, and the reason for that is because because I hadn't seen it and because I thought you Dom... You hadn't seen it? No, I hadn't seen it. Oh, I thought you had. No, 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 I hadn't seen it. Oh, okay. And, and, well, because I hadn't seen it and because I knew, I thought Dom was going to go, oh, well, I give it a nine just because of something else. And I'm like thinking, that's fine. Okay, we're okay now. Because um, we're, we're all sort of in the same zone. We're we're pretty much against the the Rotten Tomato score, which is 97% for critics and 89% for the fans. Yeah, I think that's quite high. But on IMDb, it's 7.9. Well, 
So well, then you two are closer to it. Um, the reason the reason for that is because I expected more. What score uh, did you give it? Sorry, five. A five. Oh, yeah. Goodness. Right. I, okay. And I expected more. Um, you know, we've had in the seventies. We had the Godfather. We are three years away from Scarface. You know, I I wanted more violence in it. I wanted more. I wanted proper gangland violence. You know, I think the closest we really, I think the closest the thing that that I thought, mm, okay, yeah, was where he had the machete and he was doing on the on the guy. And I was like, yeah, but it's a bit like when I oh, said the broken bottle. Yeah, well, yeah, but it's 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 more of a. I mean, even the the killing right at the start, you're kind of like, well, with uh, involving Pierce Brosnan, um, you're like, so you don't see anything, and and I mm. and I get that you don't have to see it, and the imagination can take over and fine, but I just expected more. The first half an hour, of the film has no idea what it wants to do. It is, it's yeah, all I was over a bit the confused shop. by the beginning. Yeah, um, I think the the final forty minutes is is pretty good mm. i think it's i think it's quite good i i agree with you helen mirren is ex- she 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 to me holds the whole film together mm. well you see this is, this is why i think this is actually going to be a good pardon and a good thing because i think i think we're, there's a consensus that it's a mixed film it's not you know it's good in places quite poor in places mm. do we mm. all agree on what those places are maybe maybe not and also you know the critics as you say charles with the um the reviews and the kind of awards it got, the Empire Magazine 19th best British film of all time, and all that. Wow. Really, we're not seeing yeah. it through the same lens as right. I think that's really interesting to explore. And some of what you both said, I totally agree with others. I would draw the line, for example, the violence, Charles. I think that the, the fact that the film is quite flat in, pl- in places and, and kind of quite almost, you can almost say mundane, but deliberately so, makes yeah. the violence actually more shocking um, yeah. when it okay. occurs as opposed okay. to. Um, some blood uh, blood fueled American thing that was also used to where it's all stylized violence. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of down at heel, a pimp getting slashed in the nude in the kitchen, or a guy getting his hand nailed to the floor. I, I don't know. For me, at least, it, it, it was right. more almost. It's not Scarface with the chainsaw in the uh, hotel room in the bath, is it really? No, but I think that's a good point. If your benchmark is, and we all, you know, I don't know, sorry, Amanda, but I know Charles, like, you know, Goodfellas, Godfather, these kind of classic American cinematic films, mm. and I think Long Good Friday is only going to suffer in comparison to that. Um, it's but not it, but it shouldn't do, because Get Carter is a, is a similar, sort of, similar sort of vein of film, and it's mm. far superior. I liked mm. Get Carter. That was a great film. So it's, it's, it's even looking at it, through the lens of the time and the product of the time and the films yeah. around it. Very right. stylish that was, that film. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think, you know, you say Get Cut, and that is the obvious kind of comparison, but are there, how many more films are there like this? I'm, I'm not sure there's a whole a whole load of, of films like this because, Amanda, you talked earlier about how we're used to things like Lock, Stock and Snatch. Mm. And those are like the, the modern British. Superior. Yeah, but don't forget, Once Upon a Time, The Long Good Friday was a new breath of fresh air in the British gangster genre. Because prior to that, it was all Ealing um, gangster films, wasn't Hammer it? House, yeah. Hammer yeah. House, a horror the, and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, the, you know, the detectives would have capes on and nobody ever really got hurt. And so this kind of... <laughs> really, to a bit like Poirot and... Uh, yeah, um, you know, it's all... It's all Bergerac. 
I'm, I'm coming quietly, Governor. That sort of uh, that sort of cliche, and it's the longer Friday in comparison. Shook that up a lot, I think. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. Yeah, actually. yeah, that, that makes yeah. sense. Put it in the context of the Sweeney and things like that. I mean, I don't know. Just yeah. It yeah, reminds me point. a little bit of the professionals, you know, like Bodie and Doyle and that kind of thing. That was good. It it wasn't really hard hitting, but it was okay to watch. Yes, it was entertaining. That's, that, I get it. that's a good point as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, should we move to roll call? Because it's, I, I mean, I, I'm going to do it as quick as I can, but we, you know, uh, we will. A lot to get through. And well, I guess that a lot of people in this roll call really won't resonate with our american audience. no they won't um i will try and take, i will try and take you into account i had a look at where our audience are we've got one in the we've got a listener in the philippines oh hello yeah how are you absolutely <laughs> unless uh, they're ghost vpning and they're not in the philippines at all why would you do that why not what they left it on they were t- they were no. they were busy downloading uh i don't know the uh the, the new Moon Knight from Disney Plus. Not that anyone would pirate that. Um, anyway, um, so on to roll call. Let's do roll call. Here we go. Roll call. So we have to start with Bob Hoskins. Mm-hmm. I would say Bob Hoskins is one of those things that goes, oh my God, he's done loads of films. He's done loads of films. He hasn't. He, he, he has, but not many you've heard of. He's done Roger Rabbit. Well, he, and uh, and do you know what? You've already... There's one. Mona Lisa. Yeah. Uh, Hook, the Steven Spielberg film. Oh, I haven't um, seen that. The Love Interest, if you can believe it, to share in Mermaids. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, but my favourite and the one I'm going to have to um, highlight is when you see Bob Hoskins in a film called... So, my, my idols, Henry Rollins, Alan Alda, Lee Marvin... I've met one of them and it was great. I was talking to Joe about it the other day. Um, but Alan Alda stars in a film called Sweet Liberty with Michelle Pfeiffer, Michael Caine and Bob Hoskins. And it is a, it's a, it's about a film set that comes to a, um, a Williams, William Fredericksburg to reenact. They're, they're people that reenact it. And Hollywood is making a film of a book, of a historical book, and they get it all wrong. And Bob Hoskins plays a scriptwriter. He's... He's brilliant. But as soon as you see Bob Hoskins like that, I can't take him seriously. I can't look at him in this film and see him, see him as a gangster. Really? So I, I, I'm going to recommend Sweet Liberty because I nearly put it on today just so that I could have that reference. But it's it, it, don't, don't shoot me if you don't like it because it might be one of those ones where it's you either like it or you don't. But a bit like Marmite. A bit like that. So Bob Hoskins, anybody else got anything else? What about Bob Hoskins? Yeah, about a favourite, yeah. a role that I've missed. BT adverts. It's good to talk. Oh God, I forgot all about that. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Yeah. So what I'm what I'm talking about for those that don't know, British Telecom, um, our institution for telecommunications, otherwise known as the telephone. Uh, it was it was encouraging people to use the phone because it was good to talk. Yeah, because they want to maximise, we should have said, just maximise our profits. Yeah, it's in before the days of Tinternet. Yeah. Did you you mention Mona Lisa when you were talking about it? I did, in in brief. But I know you like Mona Lisa. I I remember you liking liking that a lot. Well, yeah, I I really love it. But then again, I really love London Friday as well. So now it's it's a film I'm going to return to because I now 
it's so the seed of doubt in my mind. But um, <laughs> oh dear, yeah, I mean, sorry. Oh. <laughs> Mona Lisa, here you go. Have you got this shoehorn sound effect, Charles? Because Mona Lisa got Hoskins his one and only uh, Oscar nomination. Oh, it's a, it, it's here. It's Oscar time. Yay! <laughs> no, no. Well, listen. This is just a little uh, a little more so to whet your appetite. Well, I'm going to say oh, the okay. Chat okay. for Helen Mirren. Um, but yeah, right, you got, okay. you got, so I'll do this one quickly. Yeah. Matt and Oscars, Best Actor, Bob Hoskins, Mona Lisa, didn't win. Paul Newman won that year. 1987 Oscars, Best Actor for... Uh, Colour of Money. Uh, yeah, nailed it. Yeah, absolutely. So, Was yeah. Tom Cruise, have you got down there? I don't think Tom Cruise was Best Supporting Actor. No, I've not got that. I've got so the, the Best Actors nominees were Newman who won it, uh, Dexter Gordon for Round Midnight, Bob Hoskins, right. Mona Lisa, yeah. William Hurt, Children of a Lesser God, and that James Salvador. So, yeah, oh, see, that's good as well. Oh, well. Wait, wait till we get to Mirren's Oscar. <laughs> well, well, we might have to go there now if nobody's got, got anything time. else. If nobody's got anything about, but see, let's just before we move on to Helen Mirren, Bob Hoskins acting in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I think does that uh, does that really well because he's acting with nothing. He's acting with stuff around him. This pot's going to move. This thing's going to move, and your mm. hand needs to be there. And and for him. To, to pull off a great sort of straight man, but comedy performance. I just thought, uh, I, I thought he was great in that. Well, I was going to save this for trivia time, but the two little bits I got for, hmm. for this, one of them was relating to that. So apparently he suffered hallucinations for months after filming Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Really? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, the role was clearly, the whole point, as you say, was to act against things that weren't there. So he had to, he studied mime and he, and he you know, he was so used wow. to around that, yeah, apparently suffered hallucinations for months afterwards, which is pretty hardcore. I've had a cold recently and that's bad enough to suffer hallucinations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you weren't but, getting paid a million and a half probably at that, that point for the film or whatever. And maybe he was hallucinating Jessica Rabbit, who knows? Perhaps it was an upside after all, eh? Well, yeah, absolutely, Jessica Rabbit. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh god you calm down you two okay all right Not well real. well let's at, at that point <laughs> let's swap uh one sex siren for another uh for oh, Helen Mirren nicely then. done nicely that's done. a head that's a segue <laughs> smooth smooth um Helen Mirren um I, I'll go last on this one then um what have you got Amanda what what do you like before Dom's got his his little surprise well, there's that. We've talked about it before. That whole interview, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael yeah, Parkinson yeah. about her assets, uh, yes. and it was so sexist. It was terrible. Um, I'm not even going to go there again. So yeah, I think she was typecast in the sense that you know she'd be very willing to undress, but you know she's just very confident lady mm. who was adaptable to a role where it required that um but yeah i think i think she was she was she was good in this film because she gave it some depth in terms of emotion she's the best thing in this film and whilst bob hoskins's character was off here there and everywhere he wasn't i bet if we total up the amount of time he was actually spending with his american Friends in inverted commas, the the mafia from New York. Um, he spent actually very little time with them, and she was the one that spent the majority of time. So she was there having to kind of be the glue to hold it all together. 
and uh, you know give the, give the charming, sophisticated sort of um, posher end of you know British society image um, in the film. So I think I think the dynamics work quite well between them. Hmm. Whether or do not, wanna, do you want to tell me a little bit more about like Helen Mirren films that you like? Because we're, oh. we're we're veering into the actual. Okay, what, sorry. What we uh, no, not really. Carry on. Oh, you know, nothing else from the film point of view. No. Oh, poor Helen Mirren. She's, she's done loads of stuff and well, you didn't even your, pass the TV you, and see her in something. What's your favourite Helen Mirren film then, would you say, Amanda? I don't know. Oh, okay. Ch- oh, Ch- she's got the hump because I interrupted her. Oh, sorry. Well, we were talking about the film. I mean, but, you know, you're right. Helen Mirren is 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 great in this. Um, I'm going to go last because I think you've got your little game and I think I might spoil it if I start reading off some films. All right. Okay. So I think there's a case for her being our most successful, celebrated, maybe best British actress of all time. You know, so she, if you look at her award Ooh. list and I mean, she's, I think she's right there with Judy Dench and Maggie Smith, you know, she's garlanded and rewarded. She's a dame. She's got a BAFTA fellowship. She's Screen Actors Guild Lifetime Achievement Award and four Oscars nominations. Um, oh, right. So I know you like to put uh, Amanda on the spot with little does she know. So I'm just wondering, Charlie, you've probably predicted and researched this because it's... I didn't, know. I'm not I, I didn't. How, how are you going to do it her, to him? Oh, I don't know. How many of her four Oscar nominations can you identify, Charlie? So I think it's three for Best Supporting Actress and one for Actress, or maybe two Supporting, two for Actress. I think she got a support... Right, I'll start off with the obscure. I think she got a Supporting Actress nod for Mosquito Coast. Oh. Uh, she definitely got a, She definitely got an Oscar for the Queen. Yeah, correct. That, right. That's right. Yeah, that's the one she won for. Uh, did she get supported out of a Calendar Girls? Nope. Well, no, well, look, I'll, I'll, I'll spare you. Yeah, you're going to have to. I'm like you with Amanda, I'll spare you. <laughs> you know, attractive <laughs> and bullying. Um, but, and, uh, yeah, so her nominations were for Madness of King George, oh, Last Station, which was your pointless answer, and uh, The Queen, yeah. So, um, oh, that is a good pointless answer. When she won it for, for The Queen in, 20, in 2007, this is, this is who she beats. There's quite a set of competitors here. So there's Penelope Cruz for Volva. Fair enough. Judy mm. Dench for Notes and a Scandal. Mm. Meryl Streep for Devil Wears Prada. And Kate Winslet for Little Children. So that was a pretty hardcore year as well. Yeah, Meryl Streep. Yeah. Wasn't she in another film? Um, it's got quite a long title. The, the Wife, the Thief, the Something and, the cook, and the cook. His Lover. The Cook, the Wife, the Thief and, his love, and her Lover. She's that, in that, that isn't she? A, that was an 80s film. That, that's maybe one to do at a future pod. That's, yeah. that's pretty grim. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen it. Mm. You haven't seen that one? No. Oh, God, yeah, let's watch that then. Crikey, what a, what a thing of revelations. Well, how are we going to fill... Put the cook, thief... Oh, thief, there you go, robber. <laughs> no, we're not doing it this season. Oh, go on. <laughs> no. I, that's, I've got more chance with Bond than I have with that. Oh, no, look, I mentioned Bond no, again. No, no. Right, Don, what do you think? Should we do that as a... Yeah, I'm always in for throwing a few British films into, uh, into this pod, and, and that's, a, that's a great example. Mona Lisa would be another one. Not this yeah. series, obviously, but uh, Rita Sue and Bob 2, that's what I really want to alienate our American listeners with. Rita Sue and Bob 2, I think they've turned off. I think by the time we get to... on that. 
by the time we get to further in roll call and start doing the dregs of British oh. television in the 80s oh. and 90s <laughs> and the in some cases the 2000s and the uh, 2010s uh, what did we call them <laughs> uh, so for Helen Mirror for me um, Caligula because uh, uh, she's uh, well look look See what I have to put up with. Well, look, well, boy, you know, look, boy, rent these sorts of things. It's quite a horrific film, really. Mm. You, had to, you had to scan through a lot to get to the to, oh, to get to oh, the scan bits. it. Did you scan it? Did you fast forward? Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, one of my favourite Helen Mirren performances, and I've mentioned this film plenty of times. Just brace yourself for this. Go on. Two thousand and ten, the year the year we made contact. Um, where it's the sequel to two thousand and one Space Odyssey. Uh, she stars as. Uh, Commander Tanya Kabuk. She's on the she's on the Russian delegation, so she's doing a Russian accent all the time, um, obviously. Um, and she's brilliant in it, as as is Roy Scheider, as is John Lithgow, as is everybody in that film. Just watch it. I've been telling you since season one to watch it. If you haven't watched it by now, just go and watch it. Um, Mosquito Coast. Uh, she was DCI Jane Tennyson in Prime Suspect. Prime Suspect, of course. Um, I thought that was uh, that was a. Uh, uh, Series of its time, wasn't it? She played um, the same character in the Zig and Zag movie. I didn't even know there was a Zig and Zag movie, but apparently she appears in it as, I, as a I can't believe you dealt with Prime Suspect in the blink of an eye and went on to Zig and Zag. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's smooth. Right, okay. Awards, she won it three times on the track. <laughs> yeah, but never... Yeah, but... A, A, we've got to get a shimmy on, and B, the, the, the listeners in the in everywhere else are going, prime suspect, is that like Remington Steel? Oh, which we may get to. But anyway, um, look at me, she will in. There is another side to Helen Mirren where she filmed Red uh, with Bruce Willis um, uh, and, a, and a cast. Uh, you had John Malkovich in that as well. She made the sequel, Red 2, um, and she played Queenie in the Fast and Furious films. And she's brilliant in that. And you're like, she can, she, uh, you, know what? you may have a really good point there, Dom, that she might have a, might have a case for, she can turn her hand to anything. Mm. And she can, she can make you believe that she's Jason Statham's mum. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah, it's perfect. Uh, and the queen. And she can put the rock in his place. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> and, and then she goes and plays the queen. Absolutely. Right. This is going to be, this is going to be, I've got one more to do and then it's, and then it's going to be scattergun and it's not the one that you think it's going to be. P.H. Moriarty. Isn't Moriarty Sherlock Holmes, sir? Well, yes. And I'm sure if I delve deep, then I would know that, you know, this, whether his real name or whether it's a a pseudonym, Pseudonym. but he started in, he started in scum. And he's in one of my favourite films of the 80s. He's not in Ferris Bueller, is he? He's not in Ferris Bueller. So he plays Jack Tate, who's the sidekick to uh, Simon Fitzroy, played by Simon McCorkindale in Jaws 3. I said Jaws. You said Jaws. I was like, that. that's 75. Well, you know. Okay. Well, Jaws 3, yeah. All right. Um, he's great in that. Um, especially when um, uh, his boss gets it. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, he was also Hatchet Harry in Lock, Stocking, Two Smoking Barrels. So, yeah. Uh, anything else for PH Moriarty? Anyone? 
Anyone? Anyone? <sighs> that's the fullest tribute that's ever been paid to him by any person. I, <laughs> I love it. I, 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 I genuinely lo- I, I love him in Jaws 3. He plays a good character. He plays a solid character. I stuck it on today in the background while I was doing some admin stuff, so it's just playing. And then I thought, no, we're going to do, we can't shoehorn it Jaws 3 into the season. There is no cops, there are no robbers. But we need to watch that in 3D. And I've got it in 3D. And so when we watch it and do Jaws, Amanda, we're going to do, do it properly. We'll have, so, to, we'll have to mess up Amy's room because the 3D tally's in her room. I know, we'll, we'll sort that out. For more normal people, though, his role in Lockstock is much more memorable and famous, and he's great. Yeah. <laughs> normal people. <laughs> right, okay. Right, calm down. It's Jaws 3 was popular at the time. Thank you. Oh, you shut know. up with your jaws. Goodness right. Me. Uh, Paul Freeman, uh, who was the, um, oh, I should have written the character names. I did for some of them. Um, uh, he was uh, Belloc in Raiders of the Lost Ark. He's also in Who Dares Wins. Uh, he was Gustav Reichmann in Falcon Crest. All those Falcon Crest fans out there. Um, he also starred as Moriarty. In without a clue, and he was the reverend in Hot Fuzz more recently. Um, but as soon as you saw him, saw his, you went, "That's Belloc from Raiders of the Lost Ark." Yeah, definitely. Um, so now we get to Charlie from Holby City. Yeah. Are we gonna right? Okay, yes. Not, how can we not have opened with him? Yeah, it's like Hoskins Mirror and Charlie from Casuals. Yeah, well, yes, you're right. He was also in Brookside before he was in charity, uh, before he was in um, casualty. But yeah, for those American, for every listener outside of the UK going, nope, <laughs> no idea. I thought, I, I thought he was a weak link in this film, I have to say. I thought he was uh, sucked the life out of the film when he yes. was. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I think he would have done things to Helen Mirren unless, if it was unchecked. I mean, she looked like she could hold her own. I mean, she looked like she could hold her own, but thankfully we, you know. She didn't look like she didn't want to though, did she? she well, only because the lift pinged and it was time for her to get out. Mm, no, I, I looked at it in a different way. It's a lot more sinister. Well, but, I think, I think, I think, I, I think she was up for it. I think there was some history mm, there. It wasn't the first right. time. Mm. Okay. Right. Well, I thought even if there wasn't some history now, it's probably a really bad idea to uh, to shake the uh, the gangster's mole, as they say. Uh, but yeah, um, well, what what else can we say about Derek Thompson? That that's it. I think that's it, folks. Some, we need we need some quick fire stuff here because we've got we've got some TV royalty, haven't we? We've got Jacko from Brushstrokes. We've well, got let's do Carl Harriman, Jacko from Brushstrokes. It was also Buster Briggs in EastEnders. I don't watch it. So for EastEnders fans, again, sorry, it's a British film. Our <laughs> listeners from everywhere else, but honestly, our UK listeners are on the edge of the seat now going, what What other classic actor are they going to name next? They've got a really young Dexter Fletcher. They have from... Press Gang. Press Gang, absolutely. Um, he was... He was, uh, And I, I said this at the end of the stopped, film. And you, uh, yes, yes, he was. Um, he was also in a film called The Rachel Papers with Ioni Sky, who was in Say Anything. And worth checking out uh, for you uh, obscure film fans. Um, but now he's, his, he, well, he's a successful director now, isn't he? Um, Apparently so. You pointed that out to me. Uh, I did. 
after yes. he watched the film. And one of the things that I didn't write down is what he what he was a successful director of. But uh, I'm sure that he was. I'm sure that you could busily look on your phone and then put, point that out at some point and look at the director bit, not the not the actor. He didn't direct Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Uh, Brian Ma- Marshall, who played Harris, the councillor Harris. Um, for those BMX Bandits fans, you will recognise him as the boss. Um, but uh, for those who don't like BMX Bandits, what is he? What am I talking about? Carl Harmon, Jacko, we've, we've mentioned. But how we are saving the best for last. Well, in fact, I will save the best for last. I'll go on to who played in in the credits first Irishman, and it was. Well, that was your man, wasn't it? Uh, Bond. Here he is again, James Bond. <laughs> he looks different though. I'm sure he's had his teeth done since then. Yeah, well, he popped up. I mean, what the film I eventually put on this afternoon was The World's End, uh, the third film after the Cornetto trilogies, they say, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End. And lo and behold, Pierce Brosnan pops up in that. And I didn't have it down in, in the list. Mm. But um, uh, I've got Dexter Fletcher incoming. Go for it. Go for it. Director, his debut was Wild Bill in 2011 okay don't know that one he also directed sunshine on leaf in okay 2013 yep. another british film wasn't it and famous soundtrack <laughs> tells you and, everything you know about that one yeah. and <laughs> eddie, the, <laughs> eddie the shush you lot rowdy lot eddie the eagle another british iconic character yeah uh, that's good 2015 Tara, played eddie the eagle yeah he replaced Brian Singer as director of Bohemian and Rhapsody um, in October 2018. Mm. Um, and in 2019, he directed uh, Rocketman. Uh, Rocketman, yeah. A film based on the life of Alton John. Is that the one with... Um, Taron Egerton again. That's him, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he likes him, yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah, De- Dexter Fletcher. Dexter Fletcher, even? I used um, to have a crush, I used to have a crush on him. When That's I watched the man on the decent Gang. career arc, though, isn't it? There, I mean, those are two pretty decent films. Sounds like he's got more to come, really. Isn't he? Yeah, I think so. He yeah. was. He was also in, if you remember, Bugsy Malone. Oh goodness me! He was very young in Bugsy Malone. Well, he's very young in this. Yeah. Yeah. Nineteen seventy-six. It was Bugsy Malone. Wow. Love that film. Right. So, without mentioning Bond, Pierce Brosnan. Come on, tell me. Tell me some of your. Tell me some Pierce Brosnan delights that you have, or if you may not. Do you not well, like my him? Da- my daughter would recognise him from Percy Jackson. That, that's where she... All right. Okay. Oh, Mamma Mia. Yeah, absolutely. He was also in um, Dante's Peak. Oh, film. Film. Great film. He was. That's it now, isn't it? We've oh, no. Let's... The, uh... Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to make the case for Pierce Brosnan. So I, I remember seeing a, um, a 1985 film called Taffin um, that was on VHS um, uh, by Irish Irish gangsters. He, he was very good in that. He was a standout. He was the lead in that. Then, of course, he veers over to Hollywood more. He goes to The Lawnmower Man, um, which he was in uh, with Jeff Fay. Uh, he was also in Mrs. Doubtfire. He then got the gig uh, for Bond, starring Goldeneye. I uh, did four Bond films. Uh, the last one was pretty awful. I remember you, and, you, you, me, and the other lot from 
Capital One having a uh, an outing to see the Die Another Day, which was awful. <laughs> the Invisible Car. The Invisible Car, yes. That was the, I think that was this whole series low point, not just for him, but for the... For the maybe, maybe, maybe the series as a whole, yes. I think you might be right. Um, but obviously, in between Bond, we've got Mars Attacks, Dante's Peak, is what you just said. Uh, remember, he was in the Eurovision film, Amanda? The Story of Fire Saga. He played, oh, yeah. Uh, played Will yeah. Farrell's dad. Yeah, that's brilliant in that. I've got to watch that again. Um, and he's also going to be Dr. Fate in the upcoming rock film, Black Adam. Uh, so there you go. He makes his Marvel debut. Uh, or maybe DC. I don't know. Joe, don't, don't hate me. Um, and I'm going to save the best for last. Then if we if we've got, if we we had that for Piers Brosnan, I don't know if you've got any other. I think he makes an exceptionally good Bond. I know Joe doesn't agree with me. And I know that after listening to the podcast, there's so many different strands. Dom's already said, I'm going to be on the one. What, what I think that we have to do is set a um, watch the intro and the song for each Bond film. You don't necessarily have to watch the whole film because we'll be rating the songs and be rating the, the first the first intros to, to them. Mm. Probably draw them out of a hat, I think, and then we'll have like a knockout round on it. Um, How far back are you going? The whole lot. Oh, right. Yeah, we'll draw them all out of a hat and... Uh, Let's let's hope he says the spy loves me. But anyway, right. Um, <laughs> or tomorrow never dies. Either one of those. Um, so finally, then it to last. Um, Alan Ford, uh, Terence and Lilyhammer, uh, the series with uh, Steve Alsan, um, the narrator of Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, but possibly the most I think iconic. British character of all time with Bricktop in Snatch. <laughs> he is just exceptional. He's, he is, he, you, you feel it. He's, he's menacing. Hatchet Harry was menacing and PH Moriarty did a great job in lots of those different battles. And then Alan Ford came and said, hold my beer. This is, this is, this is how it's done. That's incredible. Mm. It's incredible. Because it's, it's just got the, 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 I mean, it's the king of swearing, or probably second only to Ben Kingsley in Sexy Beast. But <laughs> he's he's definitely, or maybe joint top, Alan Ford. And he barely got a line. He barely had anything. And I'm like, weird, he expected to come in and go, I was just about to try and impersonate him, but there's nothing I can impersonate without without getting the, uh, the explicit tag on the, uh, on the podcast. Anyway, <clears throat> there we go. We managed to make it. Roll call. Right. So into the film, I will give you a brief premise of the first bit. So for people who haven't seen it, here is the synopsis for the first part that we'll be talking about. So the film opens with a man delivering money to an unknown recipient in Belfast in the process of taking some of the cash for himself. As the recipients are counting the money in a country farmhouse, are attacked by uniformed gunmen. Soon afterwards, Phil, the driver of the delivery, is kidnapped and killed. Later, the delivery man, Colin, is murdered at London swimming pool. Harold Shand, played by Bob Hoskins, is a London gangster. He's aspiring to become a legitimate businessman and trying to form a partnership with Charlie, boss of the American Mafia, with a plan to redevelop London Docklands in association with local construction boss, Councillor Harris. Shand's world is suddenly destabilised by a series of bomb attacks on his property and murders of his associates, including his old friend Colin. He and his henchmen try to uncover the attacker's identities by threatening corrupt police officers, informers, 
and other criminals while simultaneously trying to worry not to worry their visitors, fearing the Americans will abandon him if they think he is not in full control. So this is the bit where I think that the start of the film wanes. I have to say, I have not seen such bad acting as the American delegation. If they were supposed... I, I missed that they're supposed to be the mafia until about two thirds of the way through. You call yourself mm. the mafia. And I'm like, what? What? Mm. I just thought this, some guy that owned a hotel or something like that. I mean, he, like menacing. Yeah. So <laughs> I, 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 it's a strongish start by setting everybody up. It's nice to see the old 10 pound notes. It's nice to see the old trains. It's nice to see the old London. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I I just think it's a weak opening. I'm afraid. Well, I'm glad you got that thing comments about the mafia off your chest because clearly that's been playing on your mind. Oh god, <laughs> it's just like if that if that's it's, it's almost like silent. Um, um, all these things are going on. All these bombs are going off. All these people are getting murdered. But we're just going to stick around. And it's almost like he should have a cigar in his mouth going, we'll give you 24 hours, you know, to, 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 to turn things around. And I'm like, if, if you're the mafia, you're used to these sort of things. You go, do you want a hand? Do you want a hand getting rid of these people? Do you want to do it properly? Because yeah. you've tried, you've tried my, my so boy, many times. My boy will it. give you a hand, but they just seem to be eating all the time and staying in the hotel room. They don't even go out and see the sights. And I'm like, what? Anyway. I thought it was quite funny when they put them on the boat. Um, supposed to be this lovely yacht. They sailed at the Thames, and then they they harboured up in, in moored up in these like docklands. I think they were supposed to be developing, and the whole point is they're a bit of a sh one t hole. These docks, aren't they? And they moor up in the docks, and you're like, it's hardly the casino. It's hardly the casino at Monte Carlo. Picturesque, yeah. is it? It's not very uh, satisfying for no. the. Uh, the the you know prospective business partners that you've got yeah come aboard my lovely yacht and I'll take <laughs> you to this disused like Docklands and more up there and you can you can like just sit there for a bit. Well, I, I thought we'd got the mafia out of our systems, but but, but perhaps not. But um, I think the, the point of um, showing them where the the Docklands was is because that's the area that's being redeveloped, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, but there's no need to. So, like, I was going to say, park your boat there, but that's essentially what he did for the whole film. The boat was there. <laughs> I thought what was strange about the way that that was set up was that, like, it's not like any London that I've ever been to or recognised. It was like London in the heart of the pandemic or in 28 Days Later. There's no other people or cars or anything. <laughs> it's like uh, the world's ended and we've parked you in this dock. And, uh, yeah, there's not so much as a bird in the, in the sky or <laughs> Just deathly silent. Um, oh. They'd obviously be filming at like six o'clock in the morning, I think, with all the traffic uh, just uh, just packed up outside. But yeah, it was uh, it was a bit uncanny. But I think we are starting the film about a third of the way through here. I mean, there's a whole kind of bunch of stuff. All right, okay. I'm, I'm not saying we paint. No, 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 no. It's fine. No, no. That's not. Then we describe the first bit of it and then decide what you know what we like. I mean, well, one I've of the said... things I think that's interesting about the film and the way it starts and indeed goes throughout is it doesn't. The plot isn't kind of spoon fed to you. It doesn't. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Some of it, if it's no, it doesn't. Yeah, you kind of. So, whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, I guess it's not a good thing. You can't well, piece it together until you got to the end. Yeah, like, and I, and I, halfway through the film, I was like, I still couldn't work out what the first bit was about. Yeah, I mean, with these that, guys, 
I didn't even know it was in Belfast. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I completely missed that. Was there anything yeah. that would give that away? Because it just looked like a house in the country. Well, generally, if there's men walking around in balaclava shooting each other, yeah. <laughs> Belfast's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> type, typecasting, are you there, Dom? Papa <laughs> <Up a> Dom? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I, can, I can definitely see why it would grate on some people uh, when there's just these random series of events that are interspersed with no kind of expression. I mean, there isn't even any dialogue, is there? In about no. Um, do you know what? Yeah, yeah. It was really funny because Charles was like, is there something wrong with the sound? Can't yeah. I hear them talk? I went, no, I think it's the ambience of the film, darling. You know, you don't actually hear the first people talk until they're sat down at the table. Do you remember? Yeah, we watched it in mono. Yeah, but even so, there wasn't really anybody talking. There was no proper yeah. dialogue going on. It was all but music now, now and I see the situations. Point now, and... The way that Dom describes it, I see the I see the point. It's, it's building something and it's not necessarily saying we're going to get you from point A to point B quite quickly and then we're going to get you to C. Mm. Yeah, but, but I think they've come and just like you have to get the mafiati system, I think I've got to get out of my system. Some, some, one part of the film that's kind of lauded is the soundtrack, the synth soundtrack by Francis Munkman. I, you know, he's even, even gets acknowledged and called out for it. I hated it. That kind of um, synthesizer sound effect, it made me feel sick after a while. It was like, uh, <laughs> do you remember when you... We're all of a certain age. On a rainy day at school, they used to wheel in the TV, physically have to wheel it into the room. Yeah, yeah. Watch words and pictures, yeah. There's some zero-budget, dubious educational value thing you have to sit through. It's just horrifically acting. Much worse than this or any film we've reviewed on this pod. That was like the background noise to that. And I was having flashbacks to being eight years old and overly hot in the the staff room watching some (laughs) dreadful nonsense. And Yeah, so the soundtrack for me, that... Cynthia noise was, oh, it was awful. Did, did it bring back reasons why you should never play in the canal? Right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the scariest advert I think I've ever seen and possibly will ever see. I am death. Wasn't death in the canal yeah. or something? I, I, am, I am death. You're a grim reaper. <laughs> the grim reaper right next oh, to can the you kids. Just, just give me a hand with this lock, love. <laughs> <laughs> You got, got that frisbee down from the past. Oh, this Casio keyboard in the background. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. Sorry, Don. <laughs> yeah, so soundtrack, not a fan. Okay. In right. <laughs> um, Bond, Bond gets one line in this. Sorry, Bond. Pierce Brosnan gets one line in this. What is it? I don't want to get, remember. Oh, it's um, when he is supposed to be... It was in the shower, isn't yeah. he? After, it's one word. like, eyeing up the guy in the line. Pool. It's one word. I can't remember what it is. Hi. That's it. That's all he says in the entire That's a line. That's a word. Well, do you know what? There's part of me that actually wants to, to, to skip forward a bit, just to just to say that that the actual the German Blu-ray cover for the long, <laughs> the long Good Friday advertises Bob Hoskins, Helen Mirren, and Pierce Brosnan as the lead characters. How can they be lead? Not, so not the, cover, the cover was changed to, to, to include Pierce Well, Brosnan. I suppose they wouldn't know Charlie from the casualty, would they? <laughs> Surely the chef from Faulty Towers or Denzel from Only Falls oh, Towers. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, God. Sorry, yeah, oh, we missed Denzel. him out. Oh, the chef yeah. from Faulty Towers, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but, Don't yeah, mention I, the war. 
there is this kind of sort of gay um, undertone to parts of the film, isn't there? Well, not even an undertone, you know, gay scenes. In, That's in quite the... brave, I suppose, for that time. Well, I just think the film's quite enlightened at that stage, you know, and it doesn't treat it, although he does get murdered. It's, you know, it's not... Anyway, the point here I'm trying to make is it's reasonably liberal in his treatment of gay people. Yeah. Black people, less liberal. <laughs> Later on in the film, um, I thought there was some pretty... I know the character's supposed to be a racist, but that was... Uh, well, there's some casual nationalism in there when they're talking about the French as well. So, I mean, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> the Germans. Part of the course, yeah. And the Irish. Well, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but Piers Brosnan's in it, so, you know. It's gonna, you want to grade your score based on that then, Charlie? <laughs> and we might, has it reached the six when they started insulting our European neighbours? Is that, uh, yeah? Oh, I know, yes. It offended my European sense of cosmopolitan. <laughs> cosmopolitanism. Is that an ism? No. Um, yeah, I don't think Pop Boskins comes across as a gangster. He doesn't come across as anyone scary. He doesn't scare me at all. He doesn't come across as um, a commanding leader. However, if you watch the trailer, if you watch this on YouTube, go and watch it on YouTube. Um, if you if you if you want a bit of a laugh, you can see our reactions. If you watch that trailer, you go, "Oh yeah, Bob Hoskins." And I suppose you can do anything with a good edit. Really. Mm. Anyway, yes. Um, so, yeah. So I know you were talking about uh, a bit more about Helen Mirren and and her role in this, um, Amanda. So, yeah. Do you want to elaborate a bit more on that? Because I think she did. She helps set up the film, didn't she? Yeah, she was. Um, I don't know if she was playing a um, upper middle class character as. She wasn't an upper. No, hang on. The character wasn't actually from that socioeconomic background as such, or whether she was actually from that socioeconomic background. So we don't really know because we don't know her history at all. But um, they were talking about, um, or whether she could just put on a really good posh front and accent um, and dress uh, very classily. Because they were talking, weren't they, when he first arrived on the yacht, um, she was talking about the arrangements and stuff. And he said, oh, yeah, um, they were talking about hockey. Oh, yeah, Princess Anne, wasn't it? Talking about Princess Anne and mentioning her to the, mm. to the Americans. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, she says, oh, I couldn't possibly say that I, uh, I played hockey. Um, lacrosse, darling. And, like, hockey is terribly vulgar. <laughs> kind of thing so you're like oh okay fair enough so i don't know if she was actually you know of that yeah there was that good line wasn't there the uh the yanks love uh snobbery they really feel like they've arrived in england if the upper class classes treat them like rude word <laughs> Filth. <laughs> yeah so i think overall she did a really really good job of portraying that that sort of character um she she was the one to kind of, you know, keep keep Bob Hoskins's character on the sort of on the level because he kind of went a bit mad, didn't he? Um, but she slapped him around a bit and and got him to kind of get himself together. Yeah. Um, so she was actually quite a supportive um, character, and obviously when he was out and about doing all his tracing and investigating, he was, you know, targeting him. And his his um, company, 
What do you mm. call it? Corporation. Corporation. Corporation with the bombs. He was off out and about. She was holding it all together, but she knew exactly how to do that. So she was very skilled in making people feel welcome and calm and entertaining mm. and being very lovely. Um, so, yeah, I, I actually liked her character. Yeah, definitely. And from her character to, again, one of the worst performances in, in, in the film, the bent copper. Oh, God, it was awful. And when Bob Hoskins, ch- I mean, spoiler, you know, I'm going to fast forward in the end. Bob Hoskins challenges him in the abattoir and it's like, mm. you know, you are going to do this. You know, this is a, this is supposed to be a hardened policeman. He, he feels like a deck of cut. I mean, he's like, it's, it's gone. And it's, it's more like he's, he's, you know, he's scared. And I'm like, okay, you, you're not, uh, you're not uh, John Thor in the Sweeney, are you? Really? <laughs> not that he was bent. Are we allowed to say that? I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot. I've got to take a box for that one. No, because you're not using it in the in the derogatory sexual sense. Well, I am. I'm calling them corrupt, but I suppose yeah, not 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 sexually corrupt. I I I I'm not going to comment on John Thor's sexual outside sexual things, but yeah, okay, you're right. In that context, that's the context that I mean. Bent copper means that they're they're not legit, and they 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 um are you know susceptible for doing a deal that's dodgy, that's wrong and. Yeah, that's not lawful, basically. There so they're go, willing yeah. to take bribes and uh, cash favors in order to pervert the course of justice. Great. Um, so that means that I don't have to um, explain what the um, to, to the Americans if we use another word for cigarette. Oh, thank goodness! Right. <laughs> not that we're going to, but yeah, it's fine. It, it may come up, and if it was going to come up, it probably would have come down, come up in this film, but it doesn't. So thankfully, we're moving on. Um, Right, okay. Well, we, we went through the... Anything else for the start of the film? I mean, there's quite really. a lot of... Yeah, okay, right. Well, to, to the next part. Shan's girlfriend, Victoria, tells the Mafia representatives, comes clean and says he's under attack from an unknown enemy, but assures them Shan's working quickly to resolve the crisis. She starts to suspect his right-hand man, Jeff, who knows more about who's behind the attacks than he claims. After some investigation... Shand confronts Jeff, who confesses that under pressure from Councillor Harris, he sent Colin and Phil to Belfast to deliver money to the IRA on behalf of Harris. He explains that three of the IRM's top men were killed on the same night after the money was delivered. Shand realises the IRA have come to the conclusion that he sold them out to the security forces, pocketed the missing cash for himself and are targeting his organisation in revenge. Vowing to destroy the terrorist organisation in London, Shand loses his temper and kills Jeff in a frenzy. Mm. This is where that, that last bit is where the film comes, starts coming alive. I Mm. think personally, but you know, there's again, the the table where Helen, you know, around the dinner table, it's almost like the the pub blows up. See Again, I'm not finished with the Americans, Don. I've got (laughs) one more. The pub blows up and she goes, Instead of going, oh my god, what's going on around us? I tell you what, can you take him to you take him to dinner, and I'll be right behind you. He wasn't right behind him. He was organising all his all his boys with the shotguns and the and the shooters, right, to go round and to the, the abattoir and round up. 
he never had an intention of going. I mean, it was going to be that's that would take hours mm. in order in order to do that. Meanwhile, Helen Mirren's put on the spot with the Americans, not looking menacing at all. The only reason she says anything is because they say, "Oh, we're going to go home." What now? You're going to go home? <laughs> what, what? What? What tips you over the edge? Was it the three murders that you witnessed? Was it the pub blowing up? You know, I mean, what what part of it is? And again, they're not proper mafia. They didn't roll the sleeves up and give them a hand. So yeah. And that is it for the mafia. Honestly, no more. Dom, I promise. Oh. So this bit with all the revelations, how do we how do we feel where it all where it all started to make sense? What you said at the start is it wasn't joined, it wasn't spoon fed, but you're getting to the point now that ah, right, okay, now it's livening up because They've got a formidable foe in the, as I say, in the sense of the IRA. Well, Harris, the uh, the the councillor who's obviously got property deals, uh, becomes very drunk at the table, doesn't he? And uh, he says, "Oh, he's what was his uh, thing? He's not the real man, or something." What was his quote? I can't remember. It's um, just a, that was a series of bad acting with Helen Mirren just watching. Oh, he was he was awful though, wasn't he? You could tell he was supposedly playing this drunk person, it but it was really bad. Yeah. But um she still managed to hold it together though, didn't she? Even like with the bad acting. She um you know, she she yeah. kind of still was entertaining and being the the you know, lovely lady that she, that she was supposed to be. Hmm. Um so yeah, it just uh I don't know. It wasn't. It wasn't just badly acted, though, was it? It was like badly shot. It was like obviously blatantly two cameras for the entire scene. That, that they just flipped between them. That's why mm. it felt like a television program. I think, and it's not like Goodfellas where there's yeah. one tracking shot that goes oh, off for minutes shot, and it's all shot. choreographed here. It felt like an episode of Howard's, Howard's Way. Or Howard's Way. <laughs> 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 you know, yeah, um, yeah. It was. Uh, Oh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty limited in its scope and vision, really. I mean, I don't know if the director was secretly trying to sabotage the film or working to rule or something, but it was, uh, yeah, you know, the, the dramatic impact was lessened. So I think Helen Mirren did a lot of the heavy lifting, frankly. And if it hadn't been for her, I think it really would have started to sag quite badly in the middle. Yeah. Even the kind of dramatic scenes, like the bomb going off, you know, it's not, it's not a convincing bomb explosion, is it, really? With, no. Uh, Members of the public running around, you know, there's, there's again zero of the people in the vicinity. It's all just localized to these, uh, yeah, to, to the people who are in the film. So, um, at yeah. that point in the film, I did wonder whether the character, obviously Victoria, uh, who Helen Mirren was playing, whether she was actually behind it all, whether she was double crossing. I did wonder that because she just felt like she was more in command and more in control and kept a, a sort of a level head. And I did wonder if she was actually behind it at that point. Yeah, and, and that's maybe a benefit of the film is that because, you know, at this stage it's not all explained. You don't quite know who mm. is there a double crosser, you know, what what's going on, why, who, who is it who's undermining his gang. And I agree, you know, I think she was kind of, a rich enough character, unlike others, who that was that was believable and, mm. and um, yeah. So I, she I she planted the seed in uh, Bob Bob's character in his head to say, oh, um, is it Jeff that Charlie from Casualty was? Yeah, playing? yeah, yeah. 
I'll just call him Charlie. Um, Jeff, um, that he, what, what, you know, where was he? What, what, what was he doing? And was there something else underlying it? So she planted that seed, didn't she? So she kind of yeah. knew that there was something not quite right going on. See, I didn't, I, I didn't get that. And it was a nice surprise for somebody who hadn't seen it before. I don't have to say nice, nice surprise to find out it was the IRA. But I mean, it was a, it was a nice surprise because, you know, you didn't, you, you were kind of guessing who's, who's doing what and thinking it really was Charlie from Casualty. Um, or perhaps it was Kathy Beale. Um, oh, Kathy Beale. Uh, you know, to, to drop another oh, one in for our uh, opening. Opening up the well, go. who was the guy that was nailed down on the floor? Who was that? I just didn't understand that. Yeah, there was some clearly some issues with post production and editing around that, wasn't that? Because that was just very odd. You know, was there was, he? Um, it, yeah. there was the was it from the night watchman or the security guard or something like that? But there was that um, there was that brilliant line, and, and I did make a note of this uh, later on that that came from that, which was. Um, Harold's talking to Jeff and uh, Harold says, mm. Alan found him dying. He'd, he'd been nailed to the floor. And Jeff said, oh, when was this then? He said, Harold, well, it must have been just after you saw him, but just before Alan saw him. Otherwise, you'd have noticed, wouldn't you? I mean, a geezer, <laughs> a geezer nailed to the floor. A man of your education would have spotted that, wouldn't he? You know, so there were some brilliant lines in there, you know, the vast majority of which were delivered by Bob Hoskins. So I'm definitely more up on Hoskins' performance than, than you two. Uh, than you two <laughs> yes, clearly. Yeah, Manny, your education would have spotted that. that was a line. Yeah, but I thought he was doing that in order to wheedle out from Jeff what he was actually up to, because he was obviously done something and not told um, Bob's Bob, oh, it's going Bob, um, and told him what was going on. So he didn't know the full picture. So he had nothing. He knew nothing about um, uh, Jeff getting spat on at that um, funeral sort of procession mm. thing, did he? He knew nothing about that. And none of that, of the fact that, you know, some some of his crew were sent over to Belfast to drop some some money off. He knew nothing about it, which is really bad. Well, if you take Dom's, uh, Dom's uh, you know, if it's balaclavas and shotguns, it's going to be the RA. We find out in the first scene, really. <laughs> and it should should have been there for, for everyone to guess. Um, I think you're typecasting now. Okay, so in 1992, Patriot Games was made where they swapped the best Jack Ryan, Alec Baldwin, for the worst Jack... Well, no, not the worst Jack Ryan. That was Chris Pine. Uh, for Harrison Ford in Patriot Games. Oh, if you want bad bad Irish accents, you've come to the right... Yeah, you've come to the right place. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, Is that uh, Indian? <laughs> anyway. With a little touch of Welsh. Anyway, enough of that. Um, like, can we point out that the Yanks finally have had enough and they go home? Um, in, in before Char- Charlie from Casualty, aka Jeff, gets killed. Um, right. Well, onto the onto the final bit. After confronting Harris, Shan sets up a meeting with the IRA's London leadership at Stock Car Racetrack. He offers them sixty thousand pounds in return for a ceasefire, but double crosses them and has them and Harris shot as they're counting the cash. Believing his enemies are dead and problem solved. Shan travels to the Savoy Hotel to triumphantly inform Charlie and his assistant Tony, only to find the Americans preparing to leave, having been spooked by the carnage. In response to their derisory comments about the UK, he berates them for their arrogance and dismisses them as cowards. Leaving the hotel, Stan Shan steps into his chauffeur-driven car, only to find it's been commandeered by IRA assassins 
As the car speeds to an unknown destination, Shand contemplates the inevitability of his fate. Hoskins in the same shot. Although they weren't. They shot those scenes separately, so they were never they never saw each other on set. Uh, I know I know Amanda was a little critical of the, the ending at the start oh, of this, but yeah, she's, me, right, she's right. She's right. Well, here we go. Then I'll just come oh. out and be the odd one out then. But I thought it was the best best bit of the film. And and I do remember very distinctly when I saw it for the first time, that that ending and that kind of long tracking shot on his face when all these emotions are playing over it and um you know this this he resigns himself to his to his fate and he and he kind of thinks about what he's lost and what's to car I just thought it was really really powerful filmmaking and for me that's the bit of the film that I will always remember. Okay. I think, All right. I, I <laughs> watching that I just thought oh he's got really long bottom teeth. <laughs> yeah you're obviously taking it in aren't you for the artistic uh, yeah it's from a very unflattering angle isn't it? It, is, it, like, it was yeah it wasn't that angle yeah. wouldn't it? Underneath you with the light shining up like that, but mm. it's um, but no, I just thought it was a uh, really really well acted, you know, because it's not like uh, pantomime style reactions and emotions. It's kind of in his eyes and in his expression and his. <laughs> I realise you've both already declared that you didn't like the scene, so I'm fighting a losing battle here. No, but I, it's, no, that's, I'm, it's I'm, good I'm to interested hear from your to hear your yeah, absolutely your, your version of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but so I think the length of it is unusual. You know, that it's an extended scene, isn't mm. it? Um, and you know, and then as you say, Amanda, it does end after that. Just so, stops. Yeah. So, so, so for me, it's like the, the the power of the imagination. You know, he's going off to be executed, possibly tortured and executed. Um, and and not only is he contemplating the imminent end of his life, but his his dream. You know, he's gone. He's seen his wife um, or his partner. The, the, um, Helen Mirren character bundled off in a cab heading in the Yeah, but it's, Dom, it's entirely of his making. Why didn't he just give him the 60 grand and walk away? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it doesn't make any sense he double-crossed them. I don't well, think he, he fully understood who 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 that organisation was and I how... I think if you were in, in the 80s and 70s and 80s in London, you know exactly who the think, RA was. Yeah. Do you think... Maybe he thought it was bigger. Maybe it was delusions of grandeur. Yeah, hubris, isn't it? This is the thing he thinks he can take on the IRA. And there's a, there's another good line in there about the British Army being trying to do it for ten years. Or, yeah, <laughs> good luck with that one. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's what because he's just given the scene immediately before the cab is is when the mafia are about to leave, and he finally kind of lays into them and reveals yeah. what he thinks about them, and you know basically calls them out, Charles, for what like you were saying earlier, not being man enough not wanting to get their hands dirty and then he you know he, he's the man who's going to sort it out and he you know bullet chested stomps out goes into his cab sits down and then suddenly you know like a light's been flipped he's yeah. now the victim and he's and he, and, and he suddenly realized and contemplated that he's underestimated it and uh yeah, yeah. do you think he was being um carted off to be killed then yeah, definitely. I mean, again, the, the scene prior to the, the hotel scene is where he double crosses them in that um, stock car racing. Thing yeah, and, you know, has a couple of them blown away, and, and with the money. Do you not think that they'd they'd use him to to front? No, I think he was going to be. Like I think he was, he was development and and still get the money, but the money would actually go to the IRA instead. You don't think that that would have happened? No, I think it was like a much more Shakespearean than that. I think it was vengeance and death for him. You know, I think he'd be shot, maybe shot and tortured and buried in a shallow grave 
maybe never to be discovered that which is uh, how they did things, wasn't it? And I think the look on his face, I mean, the look on his face is he's resigned to his fate. That you see, I didn't it. get that. I didn't get that at all. I thought, really? oh, okay, okay. Well, maybe that's we'll, a, maybe we'll it's a better next. shot than we think then. Or maybe a better shot than I think, because it's we're interpreting it differently. I just think for a film which is really limited in places, really dated, and some of it is like, a, you know, it, it is televisual standard. You know, I think mm-hmm. actually this the end scene, the bit where he comes to terms with the Americans, he tells it like it is, storms off, gets in. I think that's kind of like a bit of a, an acting masterclass, and I think talks to the talent that Bob Hoskins had, and I think it does does salvaging and is definitely a, a factor in the system of the score that I gave, uh, which perhaps some of the rest of the film doesn't deserve. Uh, yeah. Towards the end, I think that that is cinematic and that's kind of memorable, in, in my opinion. That, that's how yeah. I enjoyed it. Right. Okay. Well, well this is, I think it's a good film to review because, you know, you can definitely watch it and have a different experience. And, and, yeah. 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 And there are some people that, you know, hold this up as one of their, as one of their favourite films and, Fine. I mean, pe- people look at me and go, well, how do you like How the Duck? See, I managed to get it in there again. People look at me and say, how do you think it's How the Duck? And Amanda obviously thinks it's above average. You know, but we are in this we are in this zone of people like what they like. And I and I I get it. One thing I did think about the movie, um, the bit where he rounds up sort of like the heads of the, the district gangs. Hangs them upside um, down in the abattoir. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think that was particularly conducive to him being respected. Do you not think that they would come after him? Yes. If I was hung upside down in abattoir because you didn't do your research properly. Yes. Right. Then you've challenged my authority. So the six people that are going to come after you. So you've got the IRA and six of you. Yeah. Unless he's seen as the, the dawn of the London sort of boroughs. I don't know. Um, well, I don't know, actually. That's an interesting one. What do you reckon? Whether they worked for him, but sort of semi-independently, whether he allowed them, you know, um, I don't know. But I just felt that that was a really uncalculated, they were captured a quite miscalculated easily. move, because yeah. that, that could end up being to his detriment. Hmm. I think the point the film's making here is he sees himself as a visionary. He's almost trying to go straight, isn't he? Or or he sees a way of making even more money than you know his previous criminal past has given him. And and so that, you know, that's how he sees himself a cut above these other thugs and hoodlums that are kind of under his control. And yet, um, you know, he's got them all hung upside down by their ankles in the saboteur. What he doesn't realise, what we don't find out until later, is that actually he's playing with forces that he is underestimating and can't mm. control. And it's actually him that's the little man in, in comparison. And so mm. I think that that's what that scene kind of rein, reinforces is actually he feels he's a visionary, but actually he's a he's already a relic and he, and he's got a very short shelf life uh, left. Yeah. Anyway. So he's, yeah. a, he's merely a minnow in the sea of sharks. Yeah, he, and and this that word again, hubris. You know, this is why um, you, know, you know pride comes before a fall, doesn't it? I think it's mm. these are the sorts of themes which mm. are explored in the uh, in the film, and, and that again to go back to that final scene. I think there's an element of realization there, and he's kind of understanding his place in the in the world and the pecking order in the hierarchy, and, and you know, it shatters his his illusion. Mm. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I like yours. 
I think, I I think there's another scene that we should talk about. So the abattoir scene is very, the end scene is very famous, the abattoir scene is very famous. The, the other scene I thought was important to the film was the one where they go to, what's the character called? <laughs> the brilliantly named, is it Eric the Ponce? Is that, is that what it is? And this is, this is to our British listeners, <laughs> dead to Lonely Fools and Horses. Um, you know, small time pimp uh, and revealed to be a grass uh, in bed with a woman um, who's probably dragged out naked and, set upon by razors isn't he uh, yeah oh yeah what, what, and that's that 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 was some genuine menace because you're like all oh, right okay this is how he's got his so you find out why he's got his nickname and you can see why he gets his nickname have you got any trivia on this by the way no have you yeah okay do you want me to read it well no should we do well i don't know i, I think that's no, that 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 scene is yeah, I mean, it's, that's probably a good good segue into trivia time. Should we go into trivia time and then do it that way? There's still probably a bit more to discuss in this, and I've got some great trivia, which will probably spark some great conversations. So uh, let's go into trivia time. Trivia time. Go first, then. Unusually. Right. I've got two bits. Right, Whoa. so um, the, the guy that's playing the ponce... <laughs> He says, uh, I went along to Brixton where they were filming the scene and John said to me, go and wait in the pub and learn your lines. So there's no audition. He just said, yeah, I want you in the film. Go to the pub, learn your lines. He said, I had a couple of drinks. So by the time I had to do the scene, being pulled out of bed, the costume lady had to pour coffee into me before I went onto the set. There was no audition. I just jumped straight in. I didn't have a clue what it was about. I remember standing in front of um, P.H. Moriarty and Bob Hoskins, and I was scared. I thought, oh, "Oh my God, what am I doing here? This guy's a gangster. (laughs) It was my first time doing stuff like that. I thought I was involved in a snuff movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, yeah. That explains the look of terror in his eyes. They were interrogating me. P.H. Moriarty uh, had a machete. He said they called him the human spirograph because he had so many scars. I played it fearful because I was. <laughs> I was genuinely nearly crying when they did that take. Bob looked at me as if to say, you've mounted my heart, mate. He was so great, so generous, so patient. Um, and like he'd, he'd done the full Monty years later and he'd, he met met them at the polo match. And he said, uh, what were we supposed to be doing? He was like, uh, oh, actually, I'll, I'll not read that bit because I hadn't read that before and that's okay. really not appropriate. But um, the other one was, um, do you remember in the yacht behind where Bob sat, there were two sabres on the back wall? Okay. Yeah. Now, this was a scene that was cut. So, you know, when he's having a go with Jeff. Yeah. Did you use the the sabres? He said um, there was actually a sabre scene. Oh, Originally, they had two sabres displayed on the bulkhead of the boat. When he lost his temper, he ripped one down and cut Jeff's head off. Oh, right. Okay. That's that's more like it. The, uh, this is Helen, Helen Mirren talking. She says, I don't know whether it was budget considerations or good taste, but they cut it. Good taste. You make a film about British gangsters and it's like, yeah, okay. So he got, he got the, the, the bottle to the neck instead. Right. So, yeah, pretty gruesome, that, wouldn't it? Mm. Your, your criteria, Charles, for successful gangster films is how elaborate and how widespread the bloodletting is. Is, is that right? Yeah? 
So, so let's talk about favorite the the you know the gold standard of uh, gangster films. All have that. Yeah, but maybe the British alternative. Yeah, no, like I agree. I'm, I mean, Goodfellas, Godfather. These are some of my favorite films. What do you think? I know it's not strictly a gangster film, but what do you think about Kill Bill? Are you a fan of? Oh that? yes, wonderful. Kill Bill. And I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the Japanese cut, which um, has the removes the. Um, the imposed black and white on the the um, uh, the the bride going against the crazy eighty eight at the end, and puts it back into colour. He was told there's so much blood in this, you're going to have to make it black and white, uh, which he reluctantly did. But I have a copy of the the one with the colour, and it's glorious. It's just far better. Everyone thinks, oh, how arty, and he's like, oh, I didn't want to do it. I had to do it in order to get the film through. Yeah, you see, I'm just not a fan of Kill Bill. I'm at what? all. Uh, I, what? I, I, would, I would rather see some two blokes fighting on the floor with a broken bottle in the neck than the uh, than the martial arts, the karate. Do I dare I call it? Of, uh, of karate. Some... Karate. Okay. <laughs> karate. Yeah. Uh, of, oh, that old chestnut. There's never going to be a season where that's not going to come up. But if you're going to shoehorn how the duck in, then I'm going to get karate. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Oh, you call it karate? No, no, I'm, I'm taking the mic out of Charles. Nobody calls it karate apart from... Apart from karate, I went to see the karate not. kid. Karate! It is. It's like Yahtzee. Karate. Yahtzee, you mean? Oh, God. Here we anyway, go. Anyway. Okay. Um, I've got Bob Hoskins' voice was dubbed over. This, this is sometimes when you get trivia, you go, um, I can believe it, because, but there's something not right about it. Bob Hoskins' voice was dubbed over by a Wolverhampton actor for fear Americans wouldn't understand his London accent. That's rubbish. Well, yeah, because black country is really uh, much more decipherable, isn't it? After, Ho- after Hoskins threatened to sue Jack Gill and British Lion, the original producers before Handmade bought the rights, the dubbing was removed. He was supported by Richard Burton and Sir Alec Guinness. Oh. Well, the thing about it is all the stuff that goes on where I get my trivia from has to get verified. So it's not like Wikipedia standards, but um, in a 2008 autobiography, In the Frame, My Life and Words and Pictures, um, Helen Mirren claims that it was her insistence that her character, Victoria, was made into a more complex character than just the stereotypical mob girlfriend. That's right, because she spoke about that in the article that I just read out in The Guardian, yeah. Right. Absolutely. I find that very, very believable, by the way, as well. I can, I, and I think if she hadn't have done it, it would have been a far weaker film. It needed. Oh, it, it wouldn't it's have just got in the background. It did no, no. But how, how could you? You know, at the time, she, she, you know, she made some sort of prolific stuff at the at the time. I'm not just talking about Clink, you know. She made other films, but obviously, she's been respected in that way. Um, you know, she's she's. You wouldn't just put her into the film and put her into the background just to look good. She actually. As I say, it holds the film together. Speaking of things which are probably true, yeah, in the car, Bob Hoskins, the director, the director told Bob Hoskins the camera would be on him for five minutes non-stop. That was going to be the shot, which is why you probably get those range of emotions. And you could see that because what do we probably get? A total of, what, just over a minute, maybe? Mm. Something like that. But it's quite a hard <laughs> thing to do. 
I think it's longer. I think, you know, I, I'd encourage you both off the back of this this discussion we've had, go back and watch it from that, that uh, when they're in the scene with the hotel to the end, which isn't that actually that long, but mm. uh, yeah, just, yeah, I'm yeah, not sure. I, I, because of what you said, actually, I might just do that because it's, it, it probably would put a different slant on it. Um, uh, yeah, so the movie was picked up by George Harrison's Handmade Films Limited after being slated, after being started for a television release by ITC. Upon viewing his newly purchased production for the first time, George Harrison said he'd never have approved such a violent movie uh, had this begun under Handmade. If he'd started this film, he never would have greenlit the film. It wasn't that violent. Yeah, well, the thing about it is George Harrison... As 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 I got asked yesterday by Amy was um, name the Beatles in order of talent. Um, to which I well, to which I said George Harrison, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, and Ringo Starr in that order. I think George Harrison. George Harrison. You've lost the, a few listeners now. I'm not at all. And <laughs> I, I, I hope I might gain some because they'll go. Oh, this this guy Charlie knows his stuff. George Harrison <laughs> is the glue. Without that, without George Harrison, the Beatles aren't, aren't as successful. Easy. Easy. Uh, his, George Harrison will, I mean, I know he's, he's been dead for quite a while now, but I mean, his legacy is, yeah, he's just, Paul McCartney can't sing, like Elton John, can't sing, and he's going to be headlining Glastonbury? Are you kidding me? Mm. It's going to be a mass sing-along like an Elton John. It's, you know, it's always going to be like that old Frank Skinner gag where they actually know, I won't go into that. <laughs> People won't even know who, who that is, but it's a, can't take my eyes off of you. It's a great, it's a great piece. Um, so uh, a version made for American audiences begins with the screen showing a glossary of Cockney and London mobster terms <laughs> along with their definitions. It's, it says it's been suggested that this inspired Quentin Tarantino to begin Pulp Fiction with a written definition of Pulp Fiction. That's rubbish. That can't be true. I mean, I've, I've seen, if you haven't seen it, I know we've mentioned it, but the Joe Rogan interview with Quentin Tarantino. Oh, we just, haven't finished that. We have. Oh, I did. Oh, oh okay. Oh, well, I'll, I'll go back and watch that. about an hour to go on that. I'll go and watch that bit again. It's oh. fine. Um, he's, yeah. I, I, I've never heard him use cite, cite that as an example, but no. I think a lot of things go on in his head. Um, yeah, uh, the pub that was blown up by the bombing was in reality a fake, uh, built with wood in Wapping. Uh, <laughs> the director talks on the DVD commentary of how people walked in, tried to order drinks, refusing to believe it was a movie set. Just look a bit out of place. Um, a sequel was announced in 1983. Yeah, I read about that. Three years after the film was released, the sequel's opening scene was to be the final scene in the movie. Oh, here we go. Sorry. With Harold Chan being miraculously rescued from his IRA captors in the limousine. Mm. Right. Okay. Yeah, that was in the article. Um... In the final scene, when Harold, when uh, Shan gets in the Jaguar and says, hold on, where's Victoria? The scene quickly cuts to a shot of Victoria being restrained in another car, which pulls away in the opposite direction. At the beginning of that shot, you get a glimpse of Razors, his driver and bodyguard, slumped over in the front seat, dead, a bloody bullet hole to the side of his head. It's so quick, you have to pause the movie in order to see it. 
And when I read that piece of trivia, I'm like, yeah, that would make sense because how would you get to, how would you do it without killing him? You'd have to kill him in order to, to pull that off. So for all those people that were watching it and going, wait a minute, did Razors run away? Nope. Probably fought to the bitter end. Anyway, Dom had, you had some, you had some other trivia. Some George Harrison trivia. You, oh. you, you reminded me of. I didn't couldn't quite get it in when you were talking. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. I don't think he's the most talented member of the Beatles, but um, Fr- Frank Sinatra paid him the ultimate compliment and said that his film, uh, his song, Something, was the best love song written in the last 50 years, which, you know, Frank wow. Sinatra is saying that to you then. Then fair play. But now I've got a good one good bit of um, trivia today, uh, which is about Anthony Hos- Hoskins, uh, Bob Hoskins, excuse me. Uh, Anthony, not- his brother, Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, uh, so Bob Hoskins was slated to be the last minute replacement for Robert De Niro in case he refused the Al Capone role in Untouchables. No. Um, yeah. And uh, when De Niro did indeed uh, sign on, Brian De Palma sent Bob Hoskins a check for $200,000. Um, you know, to kind of compensate him for uh, for wasting his time. Uh, so Hoskins wow. was moved to call uh, Brian De Palma and ask if there were any other films he wasn't needed for, which I thought was... Uh, <laughs> a, a nice <laughs> I like that. So that's my Hoskins fact for the day. That's, the, that's, that's a good that's a good, good one to, uh, to end on. Um, um, I've got um, oh. a little bit more about the uh, supposed sequel. Okay. So Barry Keefe wrote a sequel, Black Easter Monday, Ooh, set 20 years, 20 years after the film, uh, after the first film. It opened with Bob Hoskins' character, Harold Shand, escaping from the IRA after the car was pulled over by police. Shand would retire to Jamaica, then return to stop the East End being take o- taken over by the Yardies. <coughs> However, the film was never made. In one of his last interviews, Keith seemed unconcerned by the lack of development. He said, in some ways, I'm glad we didn't, because sequels are usually... <coughs> oh, dear. Sorry, sequels are usually diminishing returns. To put yeah. it up there with Casablanca, no one wants Casablanca too. <laughs> True. So, yeah, apparently he had written a sequel, but it never got made. Wow. It would have been nice if they had a tie-in with uh, Ben Kingsley and Ray Winston from Sexy Beasts and somehow, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure about battling Yardies, but I do think it's a sort of film that you, you could envisage a sequel because part of the point of the film and part of the kind of, I think, the, one of the things that works about it is it does give this snapshot of London just before Thatcher and the 80s and the regeneration of the Docklands and all that, you know, mm. which is obviously referenced in the film. So to kind of go back and revisit it in, I don't know, 2010 or 2020, and it's now this urban metropolis full of Russian money. You know, there's probably, maybe there's something um, something to be said there, but mm. uh, sadly, Bob Hoskins is dead, isn't he? So that's not going to happen. Yeah, but, 20, uh, 20, mm. 2014, I think. Mm. Uh, 2014, I think. 2014, he passed on, yeah. 71. Yeah, a bit more to go, a bit more to go in him. But still, Ray, Ray, Ray Winston could play him in the sequel because he has been ripping off Bob Hoskins' career for you know, <laughs> yeah, that, pretty, that pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Why not go the whole hog and uh, actually impersonate him properly? So I think about Ray Winston, and I just think I can never forgive him for Indiana Jones and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So yeah, if you couldn't forget him for that, you couldn't certainly can't forgive him for those dreadful betting adverts, <laughs> which oh, just spoiled my enjoyment of football matches. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I just want to point out, by the way, I was reading what it said uh, and quoted Yardies, and I hadn't realised that as that is a derogatory term. So um, I didn't. Well, mean it's just it a description of a gang. We're not. We're that's that's all it is. It well. It's often used, particularly with the Caribbean expatriates and Jamaican community. They used it in Predator 2, so it's fine. Okay. It's like so, triads, you know, for uh, they yeah. Japanese or Chinese gangsters, like a collective name for the, the gangs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. It's all right. You don't have to issue a disclaimer on that one. We're not going to... Well, I just didn't want it to... Oh, some of the conversations we've had, we've, we should have been shut down. It's fine. <laughs> we, we, we skirt quite closely closely to it. Anyway, well, this, this draws the... Uh, the long good Friday to to a close. Mm. Um, I, I, do you know what? It was a good pick. I don't know who picked it. It wasn't me. I don't remember who well, came I'd up with it. I'd written it on the list. And then had I discussed with you, Dom, and you went, yeah, definitely. I want to yeah, come in so. and do long good Friday. I think I wanted to do a British film for a while. And uh, yes. you know, lo and behold, I know the fish got wonder, and now this is the second one, isn't it? So uh, maybe in another couple of... Couple of seasons, with maybe. Me. Maybe I mean, don't, don't put your. Uh, we got police academy to do next, so uh, <laughs> yeah. that's uh, from from uh, from from highbrow British gritty drama to, uh, to to a guy impersonating a uh, a shotgun. Um, <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to it. I, I genuinely, genuinely love police academy. I, I love the police academy films, apart from uh, the final one, because um, yes, it should have stopped at six. I know, but anyway, um, but we'll get to that. So yes, the next time you'll see Dom will be when we do Police Academy in a few podcast time. Um, much hilarity. Um, just go watch it. Just go watch it now. Don't don't wait for watch it now and then watch it just before. We should do trailers or something. We should know actually. I think what film we're going to do next, and I don't know what film we're going to do next. Um, we keep mentioning RoboCop, but yeah, I kind of watched that the other day. Mm. Why did you do that? No, I didn't watch Robocop. I watched Robocop 2. I didn't watch Robocop. But I watched Robocop 2 and then it made me remember Robocop. I'm like, yeah, okay. So, yeah, I haven't watched it in a while, but I do remember. I'll buy that for a dollar. But, yeah. Anyway, we don't know what we're going to do next. So, yeah, there, there was I going to trail the, the next podcast. I've no idea. But it'll be, definitely be Cops and Robbers and it definitely won't be Bond and won't have any ducks in it. So and not be British. There you go. That's, that's how we do it. Anyway. So Dom, usually at this point, we, we, you know, if we have Joe on and we say, Oh, how, how do you, how can we find you? Um, we don't, <laughs> it's just, let's keep it, keep it, uh, keep it under the radar. And yeah. Oh, hang on. We can quote the movie. Yellow pages. <laughs> yeah. They can find you in yellow pages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, thank, thank you very much for having me on your Pod. Oh, we'd love, man. We'd love having you on. I mean, God, you look at you. You know, pri- privately, I know he won't want me to say this, but privately, he said the first time that he did Nightmare on Elm Street, he was like really nervous about it. And then you like, for those that have listened to Dom come on the podcast and you know, guest, you know, with with myself, me and him, me, him, and Joe. Um, you know, Joe's Joe's been kind of like doing this for years. I'm I'm kind of following Joe Joe's lead. And, and trying to be as good as, as as that, and hopefully I'm getting there because I know I talk to him quite a lot. But you know, it's a pleasure to have you on, man. Because you know, it, I thought I thought you had a storming first start, and and now it's great to to have you on a bit more regularly. So yeah, yeah you're part of the uh, Rusted Junk crew. Yeah, of course he is. Of course he is. Hmm. 
Especially when he gives you and anytime you want me on. I'm looking forward to Police Academy next. I'll uh yeah, well, you can you can do that. Oh, I won't be involved in that. Oh, plus, he gives great. He gives amazing birthday presents. That birthday present, mate, is amazing. Thank you. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Um, he bought he bought a, a, a voucher. I know it sounds fancy, but he actually put some thought into the actual brewery that I like. So I ended up getting yeah, you get one of everything from the Tiny Rebel Brewery, and it is just joyous because I know that I've got all of that to go through. So I'm waiting <laughs> for sunnier weather. Well, normally I'm one to take a compliment, but you might want to just consider who it was that gave you the idea that you might like that uh, that brewery. Ah, right, it's, okay. Don't need to look too far from home. So, some a uh, bit of collusion between the uh, between my other uh, the colleagues on the podcast. I see, I see. Right. Anyway, um, you can find us on Facebook, Rusted Junk. Um, I did try it the other day. There is nothing else that that comes up. There isn't. So just We're very unique. Rusted Junk. Um, I still think it's a great name why we picked it. A, a good a good line from a very poor film. Um, but still, that's that's the podcast. That's who we are. Um, we're going to ramp up the Instagram and the Twitter. I'm going to start thinking about it and start marketing it a little bit more because we're getting a, a lot more traction on the audio, but not as much as I'd like with video. Um, for, for Maybe instance, people just don't want to watch stuff. Well, see, well, yeah, probably. Well, I don't know because I, I do. There's um, a podcast that's four and a half hours long. They record every Friday. Yeah, it's four and a half. Sorry, who on earth has four and a half hours? Uh, the people Great. who watch Friday Night Tights every every month. Oh yeah, but that's on at the time and it's live. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Well, maybe maybe we might do. Okay. Yeah, but... maybe we might do live. Mm. To put it in context, the video that I put on my own channel rather than Busted Junk channel on YouTube, Peter. Um, uh, Peter Hook and the Light at Let's Rock Shrewsbury last year, um, doing Blue Monday. Dom, do you want to take a guess on how many views that's had? Uh, a thousand. Thirteen thousand. Thirteen thousand views. I know I've got a good camera, but I, I went to see the Psychedelic Furs in Nottingham at the weekend. I posted that on. All of those have had over a hundred views. And I'm kind of like, yeah, can we? Can we? Can we uh, get a bit more for the for the rusted junk? Because you maybe can watch you should this in do one of those things. Uh, if you like this, watch this. <laughs> or maybe I should just like I don't know, give somebody some money to market it properly. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, it's been a delight. It's been great to have you on, Dom. Um, and we'll see you for the next podcast. Here's Papa uh, Dom. <laughs> yeah, pleasure, pleasure. See you soon, everybody. Yeah, cheerio. See you later. Toodle pip.